Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. Romans chapter 11. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they are trying to kill me. What was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for their world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry and the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. 
And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. All right, let me go get Ian so he can preach. <gasps> Surprise! It's me. I know some of you didn't recognize me because I'm a lot tanner now, but all right. Um, make some room. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's the thing that I want you to remember for the week that uh, there is room for everyone in God's kingdom, but we have to make it or God's going to make it himself. All right. Can you pull up that per first picture, Justin? Thank you. Uh, those two young ladies on the screen are my sisters, Emilise and Mallory. Uh, they're identical twins. So Emmy's on the right and Mallory's on the left. Uh, they have a really interesting story in that when they were born, they were born at 29 weeks. So they were very premature babies. Because they were so premature, they had a lot of health issues when they entered the world. Um, they had to live in the NICU at the hospital for over a month, um, being treated. Like when they came out, my dad could fit Emmy in the side, in his palm, like hold her. That's how small she was. So they were very sick. The doctors were worried Emmy was going to die. Um, and this was bad news. Uh, this was very bad news because up to this point of my life, I was an only child. And now two sick babies had to come into my life and take the attention mom and dad had been giving me away from me and onto these two little despicable, look at them, despicable sick babies. It's not fair. It's not right. I was an only child for four years of my life. My, I was mom and dad's darling. Anything I wanted, I got. If I wanted to play with one of them, they would play with me. If I wanted a snack, they could give me a snack. And all of a sudden, I had two younger sisters, two of them at one time. It couldn't be just one. And I should have known the night that they came home from the hospital, I used to go watch them like they were a zoo exhibit because I couldn't go into the NICU. So my aunts and uncles would buy me like candy and snacks from the snack machine and give me a soda. And I'd like sit there watching them through the glass like, oh, wow, trying to throw peanuts. But then one day they came home. I should have known something was up because mom and dad got a new Disney movie for me and they put it in and then went and did their thing. 
but they made a mistake. They got me Bambi, which is arguably the most boring Disney movie any child has to watch. So it did not hold my attention at all. So within 15 minutes, I was there. Mom, mom, mom. Not now, honey. But mom, can you come here and do? Not right now, honey. This happened for weeks where I would want their attention and there'd be two babies crying, needing mom and dad. Uh, so I did what any kid had to do. I had to fake tears so I could get their attention. And once they paid attention to me, I told them, I liked the babies better when they lived at the hospital. But my mom did not take my advice seriously. She didn't pack them up and take them back, but she sat me down and said, honey, we love you. And your sisters are now part of the family and we love them too, just as much as we love you. And so we're a family now. My mom and dad didn't love me any less because there were new sick babies in the family, but they loved someone else just as much. And I, as a four-year-old, had to learn that if I was going to be a family, I had to learn to share and to love them as well. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at in this passage we have tonight in Romans 11. Romans 11, the whole book of Romans, like James said, it's two communities crashing together. The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And if you've been coming and listening and following along with us, you'll know that the Jewish Christians have gotten a lot of flack as we've gone through the book of Romans so far. They're the ones who are kind of called out for don't be judgmental in the beginning of the book. They're the ones who are reminded that it's not by the law that we are saved, but by grace. And so they've been taking a lot of hits and punches from Paul. But the last few chapters, Paul has now been talking about, so what do we do with our Jewish brothers and sisters? What do we do with the Jewish people? Because many of them had not turned and followed Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, because many of the Jewish believers had been persecuting Christians, the faith had actually spread beyond the borders of Israel and made it all the way to places like Rome, where Gentile believers who didn't have this Jewish faith heard about a Messiah, about a God who came in flesh to save them who had been risen from the dead and they believed and followed. And so because Israel had not been faithful and receptive to the message, the gospel was spreading in other corners. But Paul wants us to know that this does not mean that now Christ has come, God has rejected Israel. It does not mean that Israel has lost its favor in his eyes, but that actually God is still restoring Israel and that he loves them. That we see this in the very beginning of the passage. God or Paul is saying, did God reject his people? By no means, not at all. And he uses himself as an example. Somebody who was a persecutor of Christians 
who was there at Stephen Stoning, who had been going to Damascus to arrest Christians, somebody who did not believe in Jesus, who is now the apostle to the Gentiles. If he could be saved, why wouldn't God be able to save any of his Jewish brethren? And so it's here that I want to pause and just acknowledge who we are. Does anyone in this room know if they have any Jewish heritage? Gains. But for most of us, we are the Gentiles. We are the people that actually don't have any direct lineage to Abraham. And so for us, the thing that we need to remember who are Gentile believers is that Christianity is not a religion greater than Judaism, but it's the fulfillment of the promises that God laid out to our Jewish brothers and sisters since the beginning. Our faith is actually born out of the Old Testament, out of the scriptures that are the same book that you can find in synagogues. Um, God has been speaking throughout history. God has been meeting with kings and prophets. And the only reason I know anything about the meaning of who Jesus is is because these books have been passed down by faithful Jewish brothers. So let's take a look at the passage quick. There's mainly one section that's in the middle that I want to focus on. Um, and it starts down in verse 13. So talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And then he goes on and he talks about this process called grafting. Are any of you familiar with grafting? Darn, because I'm not a gardener, so I was hoping I could flub this. So if I get anything wrong, James, you'll have to correct me. But um, the process of grafting is you take a tree or a fruit tree that is not being as fruitful as it potentially could be. So you take a branch and what you have to do first is you cut the branch. You make a deep groove like is seen in the picture. And then you take branches from another tree and you attach them. And through some kind of biological process I've never been taught, this, the new branches become part of the old tree. And it kind of is like everything is working now that there's this new part that is attached. The tree sends signals that works into overdrive. So it's juices and it's enzymes. And can you tell I'm not a science person are all working to make this tree or this branch be uh, productive. What ends up happening is that the branches become even more abundantly fruitful. So by cutting off an old branch, and attaching a new, you can get even more fruit than was possible with just the original trees by themselves. 
And this is the example Paul uses in this passage. The Jewish people were part of the tree that was rooted in God. And because of the stubbornness of their hearts, they could not see the Messiah when he had come, the one they were waiting for, and they were dead branches. And so they were removed. So the fruitful branches, the ones that were waiting and eager and had fertile soil in their hearts could be grafted in. These are the Gentile Christians. But Paul reminds them that you, a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share the nourishing sap from the olive root. Don't consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. Paul is telling Gentile Christians, it's not our place to be cocky. Um, it's not our place to think that because we have Christ, that we are superior or have more knowledge or anything. Because if it were not for, for the Jewish faith, Jesus would have no context. Um, I remember being in college and a speaker I heard once like was asking for people to give examples of where Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. I thought it was a joke, so I laughed. But then people started giving real examples, like Isaiah 52 and 53, um, talking about the promise in Genesis 1 through 3 of the one who will crush the serpent, on and on and on. And suddenly I realized that this is what Jesus talks about after the resurrection. All of the Old Testament is pointing to him. And so if we don't take time to admire and respect the knowledge that has been given, Jesus has no context and has no meaning. We don't understand the Abrahamic promises that uh, through Abraham's line, all peoples on earth will be saved. We don't understand that uh, through David, there's going to be a king who sits on the throne forever. And so we have to not be cocky because room has been made for us. But there's something else I want to talk about with the Jewish people. And that is that I want to have some empathy for them. Um, the Jews were a holy people. That's their whole mission. They were called by God to be set aside, to be pure. They were given the law and instructions on how to live, how to dress, what to eat, because they were not supposed to be unclean. They were supposed to be healthy, pure, clean, holy people for God. And so their lives were filled with memorizing scripture, wearing the right clothes, um, making sure you knew what was okay to eat and what wasn't okay to eat, what was okay to touch and when to not touch, like dead animals you found in the road. Um, their lives were spent going to synagogue, hearing about God, and going to temple to offer the sacrifices, celebrating holidays. And what I realized as I thought about the ways most ancient Jews lived in their culture was it was very similar to the culture I had experienced being raised in evangelical America. I too had been taught 
what was okay to say and not okay to say. I had been taught to memorize scripture from the time I was knee high. I had been brought to church and shown this is the way you do life and here's the ways that doing things outside of these is bad and wrong and sinful. And so I can relate that when people who are unclean, who say the words we're not supposed to say in church, who can't tell you what their favorite Bible verse is because they never spend enough time in the Bible to learn about it. When people are dirty and unclean and do violate all the things that we've been taught are normal and good, are brought into our congregation and we're told they're just as loved by God as you, it makes me want to recoil for a second and say, well, that's not fair, that's not right. Or maybe they're loved by God, but they don't check these boxes yet. And so we need to get them to that place first. And so we have these two communities, the one who seeks holiness and purity, but because they've made that their identity of how they reach God, have missed out on the love and grace and wisdom of the Messiah. And the others who look at the stick in the mud nature of the past group and say, well, because they are too stuck in their ways, we don't need to associate them with them anymore. And Paul is saying, no, this is a new family. You don't get to pick who's in your family, even if they're sick twin sisters. You have to accept them and make room. And the reason is this. Uh, it's God's tree. God is the one who grafted branches in. He's the one who planted it. If he wants to bring the old branches back in, it's certainly within his power to do so. And if the new branches suddenly become resistant and not loving, they can be grafted out as well if they get too cocky. And so Paul's message essentially is just make room for each other. He ends by talking about the fact that all Israel will be saved. Um, even though right now, for the gospel's sake, the Jewish people are enemies, but for election's sake, they are loved because of God's promises. And he ends with this, this hymn of, don't worry if you don't understand how it works. Um, because in verse 32, God has bound everyone over to disobedience. At some point in your life, you were disobedient to God. And now he can have mercy on you all. So, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. I want to leave us with this, with a story that our Savior told about two brothers. We call it the prodigal son. 
It's about a younger brother who runs away and gains, comes back home with shame, but the father embraces him and gives him love and acceptance. And something you can learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters is how this parable actually references the book of Genesis, which is a common theme in Genesis where a younger brother is shown grace and favor over an older brother. We need each other. But it's another story about two brothers. Um, the older one stays with the father and he works the land and he does everything he's supposed to. And so when he sees his younger brother who has left, who has slept with prostitutes, who has squandered his inheritance, get come home. We don't know what he expects. Maybe his comeuppance, maybe a little like, I'm sorry, son, I'd love to help you, but I can't. But instead, what happens is the father throws a banquet for the younger son who has gone away and now come back. And the older son, perhaps rightly, feels a little indignant and doesn't want to come in to celebrate his brother who has messed up and made all the wrong choices and who has done everything he's not supposed to. And that parable ends when Jesus tells it with the father going outside and pleading with the older brother to come in join the banquet, be part of the party. And Jesus ends it ambiguously. He doesn't tell us what happens next because he wants his audience to find themselves in that story. Are you the younger brother who has run away, uh, who's, who is unclean, who is sinful, that God has invited into his family now, and now you're part of it and you're welcome here and you can be here. Would it be great if the next day the younger brother asked for more money so he could go sleep with prostitutes? We don't know what would happen. The father might still show him love and grace, but it would kind of be a, a really selfish jerk move, right? After the father, he came back thinking he was going to have to be his father's slave and his father is throwing a party for him. Is that how you return love when it's shown to you in that excess? No, you're going to start doing everything your father asks and you're going to work extra hard to try to earn his approval. But the choice is there. And the older brother's choice is more prominent, you know, with the invitation, come inside. But the thing that he has to do is not be stubborn, is to have grace, the kind of grace that the father has. And it's hard when he doesn't necessarily have the father's love, he has a brother's love. And they would have had times where they fought when they were younger, when um, they wouldn't have gotten along, when maybe one of them was born two months premature and had was sick and took all the attention away. But, whether the older brother feels it in his heart or not, the action that's required is just to come in. To come in and say, I'm, by coming in, he says, I'm glad my brother is here. And so that's where I want to leave us, is think about who are you in the story? Do you recognize yourself as an older or younger brother? Do you recognize yourself relating more with the uh, tried and true 
I've lived properly my whole life Jewish believers? Or are you more of the, I'm being welcomed in for the first time Gentiles? And the thing I want us to remember is what I already mentioned, that the only thing that matters is not uh, whether you're living by the law or whether you've been disobedient to it. The thing that matters is the father is throwing a party and has invited both of his sons. Uh, I'll read verse five and six one more time. At the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. If by grace, it cannot be based on works, not what we do or say. Because if it were, grace would no longer be grace. The Father shows you, my friends, grace. And so show grace for those who may not have the works that you are expecting. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.